Welcome to an episode of Love Me, the podcast. I am your host, Hannah Tittle, and this is my self-love journey. I believe that loving yourself should be easy. It should be second nature, but I know firsthand that it isn't. Together on this podcast, or better yet, on this journey, we will be learning about what self-love really means, what it means to different women of different ages and in different stages in their lives, and we will be learning what we can do to make it easy, to make it so that it is second nature. Each episode, I will be having conversations with badass women, with coaches, gurus, and mentors, and together with their help, we can learn how and what we can do to make loving ourselves effortless, and best of all, to make it so that we truly, authentically love ourselves. Welcome back. Today is episode number six, and of course, as always, I am so happy to have you here, and I'm super excited to be here with you. By here, of course, I mean in your ears. <laughs> um, if you're new here, welcome. This is my journey, and this is the podcast where we talk about just about anything that might make you feel good. Manifestation, astrology, relationships, diets, nutrition, body acceptance, confidence, love, laughter, joy, personality types, techniques to bring in more joy and peace and mental illness and calm anxiety, etc, etc, etc. When I was suffering from depression at my worst, the idea of talking about my depression or admitting the way that I felt brought me so much shame that I would just straight up burst into tears or act like a 10-year-old and cause a tantrum and get really angry and rude at anybody that asked me about it. So the fact that I am now voicing my experiences and telling my stories and discussing it so openly with some strangers in a number of different countries and all that is the weirdest and yet the most healing thing I've ever done. So like I always say, I don't want to ever be the one to offer advice because I'm incredibly underqualified to do so, but if you are struggling with anything and you aren't already trying, consider talking about it because it might just be the thing that makes you feel better. But don't worry, that's my last bit of advice for the day. (laughs) Today's guest is Rachel Alexandria, and I am very excited about this episode, just as I was to have the actual conversation with her. We discuss following your heart, despite what backlash may come of it, whether it be ending relationships or people Uh, thinking differently of you or you even thinking differently of yourself. We discuss the idea of, you know, moving um, away from hard science and into more soft science and understanding more of the spirituality and um, metaphysical side of the world or the universe or, or whatever you want to call it. And we discuss the importance of happiness over peace, which was really, really um, a key thing for me. And I'll talk about that again at the end of the episode. And we also talk about what Enneagram types are and how we can learn to love them more by doing a process called tapping, which is a process I've heard a lot about and I definitely wanted to learn more about it. So I'm super excited to have done so with Rachel and I'm excited to share it with you all because it's something that you can use on a number of different emotions and feelings throughout your life. For anyone that doesn't know, uh, the Enneagram type is... A, it's 
So there's an Enneagram test that you can take and there are nine types, which basically put you into nine personality types or nine personality trait bubbles. And I am such a nerd for these things. Anything that I can do to learn more about myself or to learn more about the way that I feel or the way that I, you know, act and my habits and such, I love that. I love all those types of quizzes, any type of personality test. Um, you know, I absolutely nerd out for them and I get super excited and I do them a couple times and I've yet to come across one that doesn't respond really well to me. For example, this doing the Enneagram test, I was a type two and that is bang on if you know me. Um, another quiz, a little off topic that I absolutely love is the love languages. So I just think that that is the coolest way to learn again, more about yourself, but also to be around um, in any relationship, to know your love language and to know your friends or your family or your partner's love language, it just allows you to love them better because you're loving them in a way that they want to be loved or you're understanding the way that they want to be loved more, which is really incredible because we don't all love the same way. So my love languages are quality time and physical touch and the idea of getting a gift, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, obviously, yes, I appreciate gifts, but if you were to hand me a gift, I would do my best to avoid opening it in front of you because I get really awkward and uncomfortable. I appreciate them always, um, and I'm never going to turn one down, <laughs> but I just get weird when I receive them. But the weirdest thing is, is that my giving love language, so the, the way that I show the, that I love someone is by getting them a gift. So that was an interesting thing to learn about myself, but also I have um, tried to make sure that my friends are aware that I don't love getting gifts. <laughs> and just a friendly reminder that it is my birthday in a few weeks, so in case anybody wanted to send me something for my birthday, um, a little love note is plenty for me, and that means so much more to me than a lot of the material things anyway, so that's just a heads up for my BFFs that might be listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm super excited for you guys to get to listen in on this. Um, like I said, we cover such a wide variety of topics. It's not just the Enneagram type, but I think it's really cool to be able to discuss this and be able to learn that you have options available to you to kind of figure out a little bit more about yourself through types of tests and things like that. So I'll make sure to link up a, a link to do a test if anybody's interested to see maybe if they if they match with what they already know about themselves. Uh, yeah, so I really hope you enjoy. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Rachel Alexandria. So glad that you're here this morning. Thank you so much for joining me and talking to me today. Yay! Yes, I'm excited to be here. It was such um, a sweet invitation. Oh, thank you. I just like I stumbled across you through Sarah Jane's Instagram, and I was just like in awe of some of your messages and stuff. So I was really excited that you were willing to speak to me, and I could learn from you really that's the whole point of this project for me is just to try to reach out to as many women as I can to have genuine conversations but to selfishly I'm just trying to learn as much as I can so I'm just really excited <laughs> well that's good I think that's a good reason thank you I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it so <laughs> that's great um okay so to kick things off, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about you because you have quite a cool story as far as like where you've ended up in like profession wise. 
going from like a registered therapist to more of the spiritual side of things, if you're okay with me calling it that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So how did that happen for you? Was that like an overnight kind of change or was that like years in the making? Uh, well, let's see. Yes. And no, and both. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so let's see, how do I, how do I define this? I went back to school to graduate school when I was in my late twenties. Um, my first round was, I just got an MFA of poetry because I just felt like it. (laughs) I just thought that was a good thing to do. Um, So, but of course that didn't give me any kind of job access um, in the early 2000s after, (laughs) yeah. Before 9-11, it would have. And before the dot-com bubble burst and a master's degree in English would have been great. I could have gotten a decent paying technical editor job or something. Which ultimately wouldn't have been great for me. I would have gone kind of crazy, but <laughs> I was able to do that job and the jobs paid well. But by the time I graduated, that was not the case. Um, so I was just working an admin job and my then husband said to me, you know, what are you doing? You don't care about your job. It doesn't make good money. Like <laughs> one of these things at least should change. And I was like, fair. Okay. So I just did some soul searching and pretty quickly realized if I wanted to do something I really cared about, it meant I had to go back to school. I I was like, I just got done. I never thought I was going to do any advanced degrees and I just got done with one. I have to do another one. But if you want to be a therapist, they basically insist that you go to graduate school and do that. So I did. Um, And while I was in graduate school, is pretty much when the spiritual stuff came knocking. That's how I always describe it. And folks who are into astrology will recognize when I say it was the time of my Saturn return. Um, When Saturn comes back to where it was when you were born is often when the first kind of quote midlife crisis happens. Cool. I've never heard that before. Um, Oh yeah. Saturn return is a fun one. Um, It happens every... 28-ish years, and I don't really understand astrology well enough to explain why that's not more exact, but um, 28, 29. So it basically was a time when I started hearing fairly solid sounds from, um, from spirit, not literally, but like just pieces of information kept coming up. My mom had a surgery. I went home to take care of her for a while. She's like, hey, let's listen to this tape that we had made of your astrology chart when you were three. And on the tape, the astrologers talking about how this is a very psychic person. This is a very, you know, there's a lot to, that's going to come from this person. And I was just like, <laughs> I was sort of just like working this crap job in obscurity. I mean, you know, I was become a psychotherapist, but it didn't, there wasn't really anything remarkable about my life at the time. And, um, but I remembered feeling like I wanted that to be true. I, I felt like some pieces of that might be true, but I didn't, you know, it was just very, it was very latent. Um, so I just started paying attention. And soon after that, like a bunch of stuff kind of happened at once. And I I wish I'd been keeping records then. That would have been smart, but I wasn't. So 
my memories. All I have to rely on when I say that it just felt like um, a lot of different signs started showing up. Um, I started having this feeling that drove me into working with an energy healer, even though I didn't know what that was. And I was very skeptical, but I met her through networking and I was just like, well, what is it you do? Well, I move energy and this and that and blah. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) but what do you do? (laughs) How does that work? (laughs) And now I feel for her because I'm like, oh yeah, I can't explain it. I, (laughs) that's not a thing I can tell people. I'm like, I will wave my hands around and you will feel different. I don't know how to tell you what's going on. Um, yeah, and like I won't even touch you, but you will feel different. Yeah, I might touch you, but it's that's not going to be Fair. what they're like. Oh, it's cold. It's hot. It's this. Yeah, it is. So I started working with her and I. it was one of those things like um, I just remember many different experiences where somebody would kind of look at me or recognize or, or something and I would feel this internal like, oh, they see this, there's something here. But also I would have parts of me inside that would be like, no, what? That's crazy. Well, I don't, that can't be true. You know, it's like when your mom says you're pretty, you're like, I want that to be true, <laughs> but I don't know if I believe you. Yeah. I think we can resonate with that. That's fair. <laughs> it's like, you're my mom. You have to say that. But I also yeah, want literally. it to be true. I, I hope it's true. And you're saying it. maybe it's true. But but also, I don't know if I believe you. Yeah. Um, so the, the big sort of reveal came to me when um, I had a friend at the time who's really responsible for a lot of different catalyst moments in my life. And... She was having, I don't know, we we were hanging out. She was having some back problems and I offered to give her a massage because I'm not in any way trained, but I'm decent at it. And I, you know, we were watching a movie. I'm like, oh, sure. I'll rub your shoulders. And she just started like having all these expressions. She was like burping and yawning and expressing. And I was, and she was kind of a magical being, which is part of what I was drawn to about her, even though I wouldn't have admitted it at the time. And I was, I just sort of was, you know, the, the type eight that I am just kind of stoic and didn't say anything. That's how I was at the time. And just kind of like, do to do still massaging, pretending like that's not weird. <laughs> and <laughs> And later, like a couple of days later, when I saw her next, she said, Rachel, you're an energy healer. And I had that reaction within that, like, oh, yes, and no, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is very intense reaction. And she spent, she's a seven, she spent a long time trying to convince me and get me excited. And finally, I had to say, look, I see that you want me to get excited about this and that's not going to happen right now. Like, thank you. I am taking in your feedback, even though it doesn't look like I am. And I'm sure I will think about it later. Like stop, stop trying to get me to be like, yay. So, but that's what, I don't know exactly what happened after that moment, but that was what kicked off what I call my year of spirit where I just started being like, okay, because I said, you know, you were the one who was having this blah, blah, blah. And she said, I, I've seen energy healers. This the kind of stuff that happened when you were working on me is what happens with them. So I also was like, one of the first thoughts I had when she said it to me was, 
I can't go back to school again. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm still finishing my second graduate degree $40,000 later. You know, I, yeah. I just, I can't, my husband will kill me. Like, no. So, um, when he was like, Hey, you should, you should do something that matters and where you make more money. I don't think he meant do something that I don't like that will also cost us a lot of money. <laughs> There's a yeah, reason why we're not something together. I don't really understand. You're right. So yeah. I found, um, actually spirit sent me someone spirit sent me a healer. She just reached out to me through a business networking group I was part of and said, Hey, I'd love to trade sessions. And I was like, all right, whatever. Did a session for her. And then I came in for my session sort of, again, being a less uh, open eight than I am now and just kind of sitting there like, what, you know, like do something. And she's like, what can I help you with? And, I, and internally, my parts are like, you're the one who asked for the trade. <laughs> I don't need any, like, I you tell me, you know? <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, and after chatting for a few minutes, I'm like, okay, well, I guess there's this, like someone's told me I'm an energy healer. I'm not really sure what to do with that. If I'm supposed to, and it was a very vulnerable and tender place for me. I was like, I'm not, if I'm supposed to go back to school to become a network chiropractor, because that's kind of an energy modality my friend had suggested. If I'm supposed to go train in Reiki, which I had a real strong objection to, and I wasn't really sure at the time what that was about. I because I was kind of like, well, if I already have something, why do I have to train in something? But right. I, I also didn't want to be disrespectful to any tradition. Like I was pretty sensitive to that. You know, I had friends who were in shamanic training and that's not a thing you just go do. You train with elders. Um, so I was like, I don't know what to do with this or what. And she just kind of looked at me because she's a great healer. And she said, You've spent a lifetime or lifetimes, you've spent lifetimes learning structure. You don't need to do that part anymore. What you need to learn how to do is open your heart. Wow, that's really deep. <laughs> and that kicked off. And it was true. She was right. She was totally right. Um, that kicked off the next year for me where I just would go to different people. I, I went to like you know, a performing psychic, I would go to, and that person like connected me with my first spirit guide who she's like, they've been trying. She's like, this is so weird. Like this is somebody who reads the dead basically. Um, she's a medium and she's like, okay, this person in the audience and she finds me and she's like, okay, this is weird. Cause this isn't usually the kind of thing that shows up, but what I get for you is your spirit guide. And she's coming through and they've been trying to talk to you and they've been having a hard time getting through the door. And, you know, here's, I don't usually get names, but here's her name, et cetera, et cetera. So stuff like that would happen. I'd go to psychics, I'd attend shows, I'd, and then I just started um, an internship with that original healer. Um, and this is while I'm in psychotherapy school also <laughs> still keeping your like safety net well I mean it's a thing to finish you know and I did still want to yeah, be a therapist absolutely. right um so so yeah I, I interned with the or apprenticed I guess with the other healers and did some training sessions with her and her take was basically like try stuff out like you're you're very structured and you have a lot of integrity basically you're not going to hurt somebody so just 
to like try some stuff out. So I started giving free sessions to just friends and stuff. We'd be all hanging out in a group, my dance friends, and I'd be like, hey, does anyone want to have some energy healing? I'm trying to practice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's basically how it happened. And then, you know, I spent some time being scared of like, how do I, how do I do this while I'm a therapist? And can I do energy work on my clients? Are they going to come for me? You know, <laughs> and eventually I found out as long as no one complains and no one's feeling like I did something that violated their boundaries, the state doesn't want any part of how this works, you know? So yeah. they just don't, they don't want to have to get involved in regulating what's a really soft science and very, you know, um, what's the, not discretionary, I guess maybe that's the word very dependent on the client, you know, what's overboard with one person is just right for another person. So, so yeah, I eventually learned to calm down and really trust spirit and trust my client and communicate as thoroughly as I possibly can. And yeah, that, <laughs> that was the origin story. That's amazing. Um, let me ask you, did you have any like fear of what people would say moving from such like a solid science to a soft science in the sense of like therapy towards energy and more of like the metaphysical spiritual stuff? Or did you just trust that that was where you were supposed to be? Well, I didn't really move away from therapy. I did both right. for eight years. So, so not so much. Um, I was worried one of the, one of the fears I had when I first was told I was a healer I was worried of becoming some stereotype cliche person, <laughs> right? Like, oh no, I'm going to be wearing 50 scarves and I'm going to be a hundred pounds overweight and have too much makeup and lipstick on my teeth and dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't, I was thinking more of the, you know, the crazy, crazy large ladies. Right. Oh, I, I don't of course. Know, like, yes. Like a fortune. Yeah. Just color. becoming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Becoming somebody that I'm not, which is the same reason I didn't go into therapy when I was um, in college. I didn't study it then because I was worried to beca about becoming Lilith from Frasier, <laughs> like cold and calculated and just, you know, because that's the stereotype of therapists, you know, everybody's got. And it took me a while to realize the first time around it took me a while to realize this the second time around. I, since I'd done it once before, stepped into something I was afraid of becoming something else, I would just say, okay, that's the stereotype I'm afraid of. But the truth is I can do a thing and still do it like me. I can do this thing and, and still be Rachel the way that I am. It doesn't have to change me into some sort of other character. Um, so I, yeah, I was, I was worried about people thinking I was crazy for sure. Um, but like I said, I didn't, I didn't leave one for the other. Yeah, I just true. did them both. Um, but yeah, I had to have a whole, a whole deep process in that first year about um, if I really, I, well, there was a moment in that year where I came to a decision point about what is my life? Like, who do I trust and what is my life dedicated to? It was kind of my big um my big moment of faith, I guess. And, um, my head was some part of my head was telling me, Oh, if you really embrace all this stuff that everyone's going to think you're crazy and you're going to have no friends and family and everyone's going to abandon you. And I was like, okay, let's really work this through. Cause it was, it was pretty scary and, and pretty insistent that part. Yeah. 
And as I worked it through, I'm like, okay, my mom and dad aren't going to abandon me. I've, they've done weirder stuff in their life. And when I've talked to them about what's going on, neither one of them is freaking out. Like, that's not realistic. They, even if they didn't understand something or agree with something, they're not going to be like, get away from us. You're not our child. So let's just lay that one to rest. And then my friends, you know, I've been telling them piece by piece as I go along. And actually, they'll say things back to me like, well, you know, I have psychic dreams, right? So, you know, all of them are more comfortable in this space to some degree at that point than I was. So I'm like, okay, my friends aren't going, at least not the important ones. They're not going to abandon me because I do this. And then the last remaining concern was my husband. You know, he's not comfortable with any of this. This isn't his belief system blah, blah, blah. And that was true. Um, and I was like, but we'll work it out. And that part said, well, but you're going to, you're going to have to choose spirit or him. And I'm like, I don't accept that. And it was this whole like, you know, really tough wrangling in my head as I was out walking our dog one night. And it just kept saying that it just kept being like, you're going to have to choose. Cause I, I couldn't argue back yeah. like, no, 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 he's going to whatever. So finally, I was like, well, shit, if I have to choose, I choose spirit because it wouldn't make sense to choose a person because if something didn't work out and I've abandoned this call within my heart and my soul, that's not that's not the right choice. And then everything calmed down the second I the second I made that choice, like in my head, in my heart, everything just kind of went and settled. Um, the storm calmed down and I and immediately followed it up with, but I don't, I don't accept that I have to choose, but it was like gone. And the truth was that was the right choice. And that relationship didn't work out. And that was part of why was um, we just had very different belief systems. Um, so that, yeah, that's, that was really the the big moment when I wrangled with it. And not like I didn't ever come up again, but I, I'm kind of that person that if my nearest and dearest love and accept me, um, I'm more able to weather. I, I know there's other people who think things are crazy. And what I did in that first year was um, somebody recommended this to me. I can't remember who it was. When I was really learning in that first year, they said, you know, keep a diary. I mean, just of just of the things that happen so that you can stop your brain from discounting them. And it was great advice. I still have that journal somewhere. It's just like a little book I would carry around with me. And whenever I'd do a session or some sort of trippy spirit connection thing would happen, I'd write it down because it was definitely true. Things would happen. And then I'd be like, you know, be this moment of like shining, like, Oh my God. Wow. And then a couple of days later, I'd be like, but did it really happen like that? Was it really? <laughs> so I'd go back and I'd have put it in a book and that made it more, I don't know. It just made it less um, debatable, I guess. Yeah, I've heard that a lot with um, people re- recommending something like that when you're trying to manifest things or every time you actually do manifest things, you write it down because mm. then you can look back and see how much you've actually been able to bring into your life and I, again mm. I think it just like you said just helps to disbelieve it because at first yeah. everybody you know we're we're so trained to think oppositely to this sort of stuff or at least a lot of us are growing up so mm. yeah it, it's easier to believe that it isn't going to happen or that it, it didn't happen the way that it happened mm-hmm. but if you start reading it, w- it in your own writing you're like oh wait 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about making it more tangible that seems yeah. to help. Um, I think of it as, you know, the brain is a discounting machine. It discounts things. It, it takes <laughs> our consciousness when it's untrained, it takes the magic out of life. It just it, it just tries to make everything understandable and safe and, you know, crunch it into little ones and zeros, basically. Yeah. And why would we want that when we can have the whole beauty of it, you know, mm. of the whole experience? Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, so I'm curious, you said bef- um, a little bit earlier um, about, you know, making the transition um, into a different career path and such about worrying about becoming someone that you're not. Mm. And obviously, I, when I reached out to you initially, and I, and I know even from you mentioning it a couple of times, you talk about being a type eight. So this is your Enneagram type. Mm-hmm. Was, has this been something that you've always kind of been aware of? Or has this been part of the, the journey to see, to learn more about yourself and learn more about your type? Um. So the question is, <laughs> sorry, the question is, have I always known about Enneagram yeah. stuff? No. Um, yeah. The same friend who taught me that I was an energy healer, who revealed that to me, she was the one who taught me the Enneagram. Um, like I said, I have a lot of, a lot of things to appreciate from her. Um, yeah, she sounds really special. <laughs> she, it was, it was a very, it was a very important and revelatory friendship probably for both of us. Um, so, uh, so that was around the same time I was learning the Enneagram from her. I was apprenticing with her because first she just, she just was the kind of person who's like, I want to type everybody I meet. Um, and so she helped me get access to my type to get clear about that. And then, um, I just was curious. I mean, I was already studying to be a therapist, so I found it fascinating then here was this system that explained really why everyone was so different and why they do what they do and how they see the world a different way than me. And that was, that was definitely something that drew me in immediately. Um, so then I, yeah, I just worked with her informally for three years talking about the Enneagram and, you know, helping her teach workshops, teaching my own workshops and, yeah, that was that was where it started. Was that all the answer to your question? I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. No, <laughs> absolutely it does. Um I'm curious to know like what is is your definition of an enneagram type that it's like your personality type or is it more like your way of being? You know, cuz it does seem that it resonates more than just a couple of personality traits. Um I think the Enneagram, I think of things in metaphors. This is what I, this is one of the things that I've come to use as like a personal meaning-making system. Um, they would talk in grad school about putting on different lenses and every modality is like putting on a different lens. So you're, you're seeing things, new things about the subject matter in a different way because of the lens. So I, when I have the lens on of the Enneagram, I would say it describes, like, there's so many things that, that can be understood through that lens. Um, I don't, when I put on a different lens, which is about um, parts, it's called internal family systems. 
Uh, it's a way of understanding our personality as multifaceted and kind of fragmented until we learn to um, bring them together, like me different members of a team that don't know they're on a team. Um, when I look at things through parts lens, uh, I would say I have parts of me that feel very strongly as my Enneagram type and my connecting points. Like I can, that's, I can blend those lenses right. and see how that's part of what's going on. Um, and I would say we can't ever escape the bias of our type just like we can't escape the bias of growing up a particular race or culture, you know, as much as we learn about things, as much as we're well-grounded, that is always going to be part of the mixture of who we are. Yeah. So, and I, I don't know if that answers the yeah, question. Yeah, of course it does. I'm just, I, I'm just, I've never really heard of Enneagram types until a couple of weeks ago when I first um, discovered it through the Instagram so I'm like myself, I'm just learning about it. And I obviously did the test gotcha. and um, I found out that I'm a type two, which after mm. reading more about it is the most accurate thing that I've ever read. <laughs> um, I like uh -huh. can't believe okay. it. I was like, this is kind of, it's almost a little spooky. Like how can answering like, you know, 20 questions or whatever it is I did online tell me all this stuff and then you know you can make it kind of funny like seeing some of the memes that are dedicated to your type and it's just like okay no this is literally who I am but um but what I think is cool is the way that you talk about um how there's obviously I think um, you know no question benefits to everybody's type and to everybody's person uh, like we all have beautiful traits about ourselves but there are you know some things that we don't love about ourselves or things that you know we may not adore about our type so then Am I correct in saying that that's where the sort of tapping for your type comes in? Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone, often when people find out their type, sometimes I even say, if you don't know for sure what your type is, look at the one that irritates you most, because that's probably it. <laughs> <laughs> like every type has gifts and challenges. Um, and people often think the grass is greener, but when it is your type, it's it's showing, it's like revealing some of the hardest aspects of your own character, the things that you most struggle with and that you probably like least about yourself or in other people. So um, I made tapping for your type because uh, when, when people learn their Enneagram type, I mean, maybe they're studying with a teacher, maybe they're reading a book. It's kind of like showing you all these you know, here's these good things about you. Here's these things that you really should work on. But there isn't a lot out there that's made to take you through that, to take you further. I mean, I think maybe working with individual teachers might. I can't speak to that because I haven't, I haven't worked with anyone other than the person that I learned from. Um, but I think a lot of the trainings and things like that, I mean, there's, there's things that invite you into inquiry, but there's not a lot that tells you other than, I guess, going to therapy and being like, well, I seem to have this struggle with depression or I seem to have this struggle with anger management or anxiety or whatever, which are things that are described in your type. Um, so, but there's not a lot that's Enneagram specific. And I made tapping for your type, actually, 
just because of a, a moment of necessity, I was dating a guy. He was doing online marketing and promoting the online Enneagram Global Summit thing um, where he promotes it. And then if people buy into the thing, he gets a cut, that kind of thing. And I know that a lot of people are promoting it. And a lot of the times the the best promotion for things like that is to say, hey, if you sign up for the summit through me, I'll also give you this free thing. And I said, yeah. oh, man, I wish I, I mean, I teach the Enneagram. I wish I had a product for you that you could use as a giveaway to, you know, boost your sales. That'd be cool. And he said, well, if you come up with something, let me know. And then that's actually how tapping for your type came about. I was like, well, I don't even remember the moment anymore. I just sort of was like, I was recording. I had a regular recording schedule with my videographer at the time just to try and get more video for my business. And somewhere in there, I just was like, well, what if I just did tapping for the types, like tap on some of the stuff that comes up for the types. And so those, the sample videos that are out there on YouTube and on Instagram, um, those happened in a matter of two recording sessions was just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to start saying, like, we'll talk about this type and I'll just start tapping. So we recorded five of them one day and four another day. That was it. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> it was, talk about started, things just happening, how they're like meant to be, you know? That's yeah. Great. Yeah. It was. And then, you know, I, I sent them to my, my boyfriend and he, he let people know about them and that's part of why they have so many views on YouTube is we send a lot of traffic there for a while. Um, and then he said, you know, you really could, you could make a product out of that. And I, being an eight, I was like, I already said everything. Like what else is there to say? It's already out there. And he said, cause he's a three, he was like, um, which is for folks who don't know, uh, that's the achiever, the, which is very good at seeing opportunities for success and, you know, making, making some good money. He said, well, why don't you, what about like life areas? What, why don't you do some videos about, you know, a type eight at work, a type eight in relationship, a type eight in health? Like what are the challenges in those areas? And I thought, oh, well, duh. Yeah. Okay. I guess there is more to say. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. that's what I did. Um, but all of them were, all of them were channeled. I mean, a couple of the types I felt like less confident in speaking as them. So ahead of time, I would read up a bit more again on some of the kind of watchwords or key, key topics. And then I would just channel from there. But yeah, that's basically how it happened. That's so cool. It kind of seems like it's more like, you know, like tapping for self-acceptance, like just to like start to like love all of who you are, which I think is just a really beautiful thing because unfortunately we do all have things that we feel are flaws about ourselves. So to learn different techniques, and this is, you know, exactly why I'm on this journey is just to learn different techniques that I can use to start to love more about myself and, you know, sort of not always heal because unfortunately sometimes they don't always go away, but be able to accept them and grow with them. So I think that that's a really cool way to go about it. So um, can you break it down a little bit further? Like what actually is tapping? <laughs> sure. Um, I ended up writing a book about this like <laughs> two, a week and a half ago. Um, 
Because <laughs> people kept asking me when I was doing the the launch of the product, I kept saying, well, what what is this tapping thing? How does this work? And I'd say, you know, the founder created so much material. He'd go, go there and look. But, you, you know, people want me to. <laughs> That's it. Just directly from you is like, it's our whole store. Yeah. I know. I know. Um, I always like referring people to original source when I can, because I feel like that's better. I don't know. But um, so how I interpret it is tapping. Tapping is a way of using your hand to, you know, elicit uh, charges. Like you just literally you're tapping on your face, on your upper torso on acupressure points and that produces um I actually don't know if this is 100% true cuz I did a little bit of research but you know I'm not like a scientist I didn't there's not like an actual study somewhere that says this is definitely it but the truth is the human body has electrical fields you know so they can measure the electric field I don't know if field is the right word but the electricity of the heart at up to three feet away from a human body. Like we have energy, like literal energy running through us. Um, and, you know, it's part of how we, we have machines that measure things about the body without invading the body because it's measuring electrical impulses as far as I understand how this works. Um, so when you tap on the body, there is a small electrical impulse that happens. And that's part of what we're doing when we're tapping is, is like um, doing this little moment of charge. And it's because of what we're saying while we tap, it's connected to, I guess maybe that part of the brain. And I, again, I don't really know how to explain how meridians work. Um, I did. I should I should probably pull up my book and just read you what I wrote. <laughs> this is this is part of my experience. Like I I have intelligence in a lot of areas, but the librarian category, like that categorical knowledge where you can just pull things up in that way, unless I've memorized it, that's not it's not really my strong suit. But you know what? Why don't I do that? That's okay. I don't think people expect that from most people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, some people are really good about that. And I just, um, I like to be able to be really accurate. Like there, I think it's the part of me that's, that's got advanced degrees and whatever is, I just like to be able to say the right thing that I'm supposed to be saying. Yeah, that's fair. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say fields if it's not technically a field. It, I get in my own head about it. I think it's that, that's the problem. Um, so now I'm just, I'm scrolling back because I'm like, how did I, how did I describe this before? Um, so, okay. I can give you the origin. I mean, Perfect. tapping was created by Dr. Roger Callahan and he just discovered that tapping on meridian points, people, it made people feel better. And he made something called thought field therapy, which is an evidence-based practice, you know, according to the department of health and human services, and it helps with trauma. It helps with stress-related disorders um, and self-regulation. And then Gary Craig, who was an engineer and a minister and does NLP, he studied under Callahan. 
And he made EFT tapping as a like simplified version of thought field therapy. So um, let's see. Okay. So the, the tapping on the meridian point, it creates that mild electrical charge. And I, I'm just going to see if I can pronounce it. The piezoelectric effect. Sounds perfect to me. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the part where I'm like, no, I don't know if this is tested, but I think it is about other acupuncture. Right. And that's supposedly clearing stifled energy, or maybe you could say chi, in that meridian. So um, when we stimulate meridian points, and this is a study done by Harvard Medical School, stimulating meridian points can significantly reduce activity in the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that tells your hypothalamus in the brain to trigger the sympathetic nervous system, which is like hitting a gas pedal in your car and floods you with adrenaline and cortisol. Those are the things that are like run from a predator or fight or, you know, stay on alert because there's danger. And so those are the things when you're, when you're in your sympathetic nervous system response, that's what's making you feel anxious. That's what, you know, like your, your digestion is low. Your growth ability is low. It's, it's in this like stay on alert kind of response. And the problem is, most of us are in that response much more often than we're supposed right. to be. That's what that's what chronic stress is. So stimulating those meridian points basically tells the amygdala to calm down. And so we can shift into the parasympathetic response, which is the place you're supposed to be most of the time when there's no tiger trying to eat you. <laughs> which is most of the time, hopefully. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. Like most of us, like, oh God, someone might think a negative thing yes. about me. We respond to the same to that in the same way as we do a tiger's gonna. A hundred percent. That's very accurate. So, <laughs> so that's why tapping works. You know, for the people it works for, which is most people, not everybody, but most people, it brings them into that parasympathetic nervous state, and that's a much better place to be. Um, more mindful to be able to access your prefrontal cortex and have more thoughtful responses. Like it's just, um, and you're training your brain too, to be like, okay, we're okay with this. Like whatever the trigger is, we're, we're inducing the parasympathetic nervous state while talking about the triggering issue. So now is is it Ah, see how much smarter I sound when I read? <laughs> I'm I mean I was impressed before, but now I mean you wrote that, so it's good. <laughs> um Well, I'm I'm riffing off of what I wrote, yeah. Yeah. That's still you though. That's great. <laughs> Thank I'm you. curious, is this is so do you, would you say that tapping should be like a practice that you sort of, you know, work on constantly or, you know, like you know, w- with a schedule? Or is it when you start to feel that fear or those like uncomfortable thoughts that you then start to do it? You know, um, since I do a lot of work with people helping them create a more successful life for themselves, uh, what I would say is that's very dependent on what works, you know, for some people having a schedule is paramount, you know, they need something in their calendar, they need a plan, they need a structure, for other people, um, for me, for example, that wouldn't have worked. Uh, I didn't, I don't, 
I probably am better about this now, but but for a long time, I didn't respond super well to having a schedule um, in terms of self-growth, unless it was meeting times with other people to do practices. Right. So, um, but I would say for the folks who don't love structure, <laughs> thinking that you're going to remember to do this when you're triggered is kind of unrealistic. That's fair. Because because once you're triggered in you know unless you've been practicing for a while you're just going to be reactive the same way that you're always reactive um so any intervention is a good one to work on before you're triggered and to help help train your brain to reach for something useful at a time when it's getting flooded right yeah, not to mention you want to ensure that you know how to do it before the actual moment. Well, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, so when it comes to the actual tapping for your specific type, does every type have like, is it is there a different part of the body that's uh, best responsive for each type? Or is it a different method that's best? That would be a fascinating study. <laughs> I, I don't have nearly the data to tell you about that. Um, I, I actually just posted something on Instagram with, um, a graphic with me with showing all the tapping points and asked people, like I just said, Hey, you know, I notice when I tap that sometimes certain spots feel more important than others. And overall, over the lifetime that I've been using tapping, which is about the same amount of time I've been using the Enneagram. So since 2006, um, I would say there are usually a couple spots that are more resonant for me. They're they're more likely to be to become the one that I'm like, "Ooh, yeah, I get that spot." But not always. And so I asked, you know, what's what's the, you know, do you have a favorite tapping spot, one that you always get fixated on or that always feels the most productive? And actually, there's only three people who've responded to that so far, but <laughs> they've all said a different spot. <laughs> and I don't know you know, I mean, you'd have to get so much data collected to know whether that's, that's type relevant. Um, my guess is probably not, but there might be there might be some similarities, but my guess is probably not yeah, that much. Fair. And I think that that makes sense because, I mean, there are even just in the sense of like practicing versus, you know, just doing it when when the feelings arise. It's there's so much to be said about just like knowing your body enough to know what's best for you. So through trial and error, mm-hmm. you obviously exactly. start to feel like what feels best for you. Um, I'm also curious, just because you've said you've been doing it for a while, do you ever use tapping for anything else in your life? Because I mean, I've read that it's for like, people use it for like weight loss and stress and like manifestation and relationships. And I just, it's crazy to me that. That one tool can go up in so many things. Could, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I love it. But then I also think, why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, the founder, Gary Craig, would frequently say, use it on anything. Use it on anything and everything. Just try it out. See how it feels for you. And I love that spirit. That's probably part of the reason I was so drawn to it, um, that he's such a generous spirit with, you know, you. this is a tool for you. You figure out how it works in your body. So... um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't personally use it for tapping on enneagrams type type stuff until that was like 2015 that I made right. that product. 
2014, 2015, somewhere around there. And um, I was using tapping way before that. I would use it to tap on, you know, feeling not good enough or not wanted, like rejection and abandonment issues, um, you know, whenever they would get triggered, um, being angry with someone, feeling hurt, um, being scared about needing to stand up and tell a room something, you know, I had a, I remember doing really furious tapping about um, the first time I was going to try to pitch a workshop to my classmates. I built something for them and I really wanted them to come and I'd invested money in it. And to get up in the room full of 40 people who (laughs) we were all going through our like deep stuff together in therapy school. And I didn't, I didn't really, I just, I, I wasn't fully owning myself back then and I didn't quite fit in there in the same way that some other people did. So, you know, to pitch something to these people who are, I felt a fair amount of judgment, whether or not that was true, um, that was nerve wracking. And so I was doing all this tapping, like just in my car tapping, like holding the stereo with one hand and tapping on my face and being like, I'm so nervous. You know. <laughs> So yeah, I used it on all kinds of stuff. I used it when I, I've used it when I've had gastrointestinal problems, you know, just pain, pain management. I've used it for that. I'm sure there's more. I've I've definitely used it around working on money issues. There's a great program called the seven levels of, oh, what's it called? Her name is Margaret Lynch and she does this tapping program combined with the chakras to focus on money issues. So the seven levels of wealth, abundance, something. And when doing the actual physical act of the tapping, do you like say things out loud to yourself or do you focus on like the feeling or the thought that you want to change? I'm a talker. So most of the time I'm talking, I mean, at this point I've done it for so long, I can do it without having to say words out loud, but I need to direct my thoughts for sure. Um, So And I I feel like talking things out, like extroverting my process is part of, I feel like one of the magical pieces of tapping is that it helps you calm down enough to start unearthing subconscious processes and beliefs. And that's part of what is helpful because if, if you don't know exactly what you're reacting to, it's hard to let it go. It's hard to calm down around it. But I'll be tapping and I'm like, I'm so frustrated. I'm so frustrated. I, I'm pissed off at this person. And as I'm tapping, then like more realizations come up and I'm like, oh, and I'm sad. Like, I'm really sad that this person did whatever. And um, I feel like they don't care about me. And, you know, just so if I'm not talking, if I'm not talking that out and like expositing yeah. <laughs> my realizations as they come, Um, again, I, it's one of those ways of making something more tangible so that I don't get lost in the process or it doesn't get glossed over. Absolutely. And I think that that's just also like a really cool way for you to become more apparent of like the, yeah, the little things that are building up or the, the things that are making you feel a certain way. So that's just Mm. like, cause obviously you can think you're like just mad, but when you break it down, obviously like, yeah, you know what? I'm also really sad about this or this disappointed me. And it's like, uh-huh. uh, so eye opening. Well, 
Well, they always say, and I, this isn't hundred percent true, but anger is usually a secondary process, meaning it's covering something else. Yeah, that seems accurate. So you're never just mad, you know, you're mad, but really you're hurt or you're scared. That's usually how it goes. Yeah, that seems really accurate. <laughs> um i also just love that you were talking about the um sorry i've forgotten his name the the man who started the tapping gary craig uh he um when Mm. his his approach of just like just trying things out i think that could be said for so many Mm -hmm. things in your life you know like even you with your your shift um you know from in careers and into more of this like spiritual entrepreneurial path you have to just be brave enough to try things out and see how they work for you. And it's okay if they don't work, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's so not, I mean, it's sort of the message we get in this culture, but we get a lot of other messages that are like, don't screw up. Don't be a mess. You know, don't, don't show yeah. weakness. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I, I think, you know, life is, life is given to us as a gift for us to try things and learn things. And that's how we are as children. And we get trained out of it. You know, like it's, it's not safe to try things and learn things and and be exploratory. And, um, and that's a real disservice to us because I feel like as soon as we, I don't know, I feel like as soon as we stop exploring, whether that's internal or external, then we start to stagnate and, you know, that's, that's when we're heading toward death, even if we're still alive, Absolutely. you know? No, I totally agree. And like, even just hearing your story, if you hadn't been brave enough uh, to, you know, to start listening to your heart more or to, to give way to structure, you wouldn't be living the life you currently are. And I just think that that's just such mm-hmm. a beautiful reminder to us to, to just be a little bit more brave, but also just to pay more attention to Maybe there are, you know, signs coming in from your spirit guides or from the universe or from a friend. And it's just a, it's just important that we remember that we're allowed to be happy no matter what path that's meant to take us down, you know? Well, we're allowed to be, we're invited to, to fulfill our, our purpose, our joy, you know, and everyone's sense of purpose is going to be different, but um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, happy. I'm like, eh, well, I mean, I haven't always been happy on this path, <laughs> but I've always been grateful. I've always, I've always felt at peace with myself, and I think that's what's really important to me. I mean, sometimes I'm happy, yeah. and you know, happy is often about what's going well and what isn't going well. Um, yeah, which isn't our control, but I've always, I was really. I was really um, thrilled to realize a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago or something, maybe more, that when I, like enough things were happening in my life, um, just people's responses to what I was doing or who I am. And I finally went, oh, I'm the person I always dreamt I could be, you know, and that, that was the most fulfilling and blessing thing is that I, I've really learned to do the the things that are hard for me and um pushed myself in ways that I really respect about myself. And that doesn't mean I'm always happy. I certainly go through a lot of emotional stuff, t- 
type eights, despite what seems like on the outside, we can be real moody. We can, we can have a lot of, a lot of deep feelings. Um, so, but I'm, I'm still glad. I'm glad all the time that, that I am who I am and that I've worked hard to become this person and, and build these, these structures and these, and these behaviors in myself that I, I can trust myself. I think that's so beautiful. And actually that's the way that you've just been saying that is actually really cool because I'm guilty of this. And I know a lot of people are putting a lot of emphasis on happy. Mm. And like you said, happy isn't actually always in our control because it's a lot, a a lot about like what's happening around us or, and you know, it's going to come in waves. So if we focus more on feeling content or peaceful or like proud of who we are, Mm. I think we would all feel a lot better. So that's actually a really cool message that I'm going to have to remember because (laughs) I do often think like, you know, I'll be like happy for a day. And then the next day I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not happy again today? (laughs) And it's like, actually, that's not the, what matters. Like maybe you should just think about like what you've done or how far you've come or where you are. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool thing to consider and to focus more on, I think. And we're not built to be happy every day. That's just not how the human brain works. You know, again, our brains are discounting machines. So what made you happy one day is going to feel slightly less, you know, endorphin producing the next day. That's by yeah. design. And I, I think in some ways it's by design to help us, I mean, from a spiritual perspective, deal with suffering. Like, how do I respond when things aren't going my way? How do I, you know, how do I find, like, Peace matters more if you can find it when you're uncomfortable, when you're unhappy, when things aren't going your way, when things are scary. Like that's meaningful. Finding peace on a beach in Tahiti when you're on vacation and it's a really great day and you're with the love of your life because you're on your honeymoon or what, like that's not really an achievement, you know, like (laughs) that's an easy piece to get to. I mean, maybe not the externals, like I'm certainly not there, but, um, but the, what it what it takes in your character that's not hard lots of people can be happy and pleasant to be around when everything's going their way yeah that's so true and i yeah i can just only imagine how much better the world would be if more people were just at peace with who they are and with yeah with how they live that's that's a really cool thought i've honestly never thought about it that way cuz to me the ultimate goal has always just been happy but I'm realizing now that while I am my happiest I've ever been, it, it it does come in waves. And sometimes I do get mad at myself for it, but I think I'm approaching it incorrectly. So that's something I'll have to work on. Yeah. I mean, that's more. the thing is people, people do. They're like, what's wrong with me? I have all these great, I've had clients like this. There's so many great things in my life. I should be grateful. I should yeah. be happy. Well, I've said those exact well, things. <laughs> Yeah, except that you're tormented inside by your inner critics. And yeah. I don't care who you are and what yacht you're living on. If you if your inner critic, if you haven't learned to to like kick out the parts of you that aren't actually you, like to kick out all the um the peer pressure by ancestors and things like that that doesn't work for you, and you haven't learned to stop letting your inner critics boss you around, if you haven't learned how to how to find that peace inside the storm and then build 
a safe landscape within yourself, you know, to really take care of your inner children and be the, the loving, the unconditionally loving parent they've always needed, well, you're never really going to be sustainably at peace. Yeah. It's, and it, it's funny because it seems more daunting than it does to, to, you know, find happiness because I feel like it's a lot more internal work <laughs> and stuff. Whereas I could just like go to the beach and be like, oh, I'm happy today. But I also think that being at peace yeah. with yourself is like, that feels like a really powerful phrase to be able to say that. And I also think that there's so much like more long-term beauty with that, if that makes sense. It does. You know, I, I'm always curious about how I came to this place in my life, whereas a lot of other people who are equally smart and capable haven't made the same choices. And I think for me, I learned early on that there are things I can control and there are things I can't control. And I really don't like fighting battles that I can't win. I don't like fighting to control something where it's not productive. That's, it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, I think creates self-hatred, yeah. honestly. So I'm all about where can I get leverage and can I get leverage? And the only place I can really, I mean, not only, one of the main places that I learned I can control, I can get leverage is inside of myself. I am the sovereign master of my inner domain. I get to say what happens in here. So if that's the thing that can turn, you know, a one hour traffic jam into, you know, a chilling out meditation in my car, because I can't control the traffic. I can't control what weird shit happens in the yeah. world but I can control how I respond to it and what landscape, you know, it's like we're all living in these little spaceship bubbles of our head and we control the environment in there. So you can be piloting that little spaceship and it's beautiful outside and internally there's toxic gas happening. I mean, yeah. yuck, right? <laughs> or it can be toxic outside, but internally it's like, you know, there's harp music and you get to eat bonbons. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I want to control is the internal climate of my life. And yeah, and I, I exactly because acknowledging I that that is what you can focus on and that is what you can control. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. like, well, duh, but it's still just like easier to be mad at the outside sources and everything, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it actually isn't easier, but fair. it is more that's familiar. <laughs> it's actually it's actually very hard on people but um yeah. but it's what we're used to so I'm curious do you you said meditation is that your favorite way of controlling your like inner world or is like affirmations journaling I would say I'm in I'm I'm a weirdo I'm in a constant state of personal inquiry that doesn't ever really go away for me um and I, I would say I do micro meditation all the time. Um, I don't often do long extended meditation. I, I mean, sometimes, but like I said, I'm a weirdo. This is, this is, <laughs> I don't believe that. <laughs> I, well, I am, I am atypical um, in that 
this is part of what I came in this life to do is to, is to walk the Bodhisattva path of, of learning to love the whole world. And I came in with that pretty early. So some of what feels obvious to me, I don't think is unless someone else resonates with it. It's not what I would, I would recommend as a model. You know what I mean? My experience working with clients over the last 12 years would suggest that that no one else is really able to do that the way I'm able to do that. So what I do is not necessarily what I would recommend because I don't think it's as functional for other people. Right. Um, so um, I recommend structure until you don't need structure, you know? So for a lot of folks, I think a regular meditation practice is smart, even if it's five minutes. You know, just just something I think what a lot of people don't do is the regular internal check in. And when people hear meditation, they think they have to clear their mind of thoughts and then they fight with themselves that they can't do it. And that's not very productive. Whereas to me, meditation is this greater like it's a big it's a much bigger category and it can involve a type of meditation that's about clearing your thoughts. But there's lots of other types. one of them is just listening, just, you know, like stopping listening to the outside world and only listening to the inside world and practicing non-judgment. Like, oh, I have this thought. Interesting. Thank you. What else? Oh, wow. I didn't realize I have that thought. Huh. That's interesting. What else goes with that? But instead of like getting embroiled in the drama of it just being this curious observer of the process i think that's a really great practice yeah that sounds really powerful because it also it is very overwhelming to think that you're told to just like sit there and not think so so if it doesn't work for most people and that's not and i don't really i think that's a mischaracterization of most kinds of meditation i think it's it's sort of like how people think hypnotherapy means someone's going to wave a watch in front of your face like that's not that's a that's a not entirely a misconception it comes from somewhere but it's not it doesn't represent the larger whole that makes sense and again obviously it just goes back a little bit to you know after you try things out you'll see what works best for you but but I, I agree. I think that something that would be really cool for more people to just be aware of is the internal check-in. Just five minutes a day, like where are you at with your headspace and how are you feeling today? It's not something most mm-hmm. people do. And I think that, mm-hmm. that I know for myself, that's no. a really nice thing to do. And if yeah. you're not doing that, yeah, if you're not doing that, you're not checking the climate inside yeah. your little spaceship. So you're just <sighs> sitting in there choking and wondering why the world yeah. is being mean to you. It's like... Well, you need to turn off the toxic gas, my friend. Yeah. Get that harp music playing. Yeah. <laughs> Get your bonbons out. I know. Clear the air inside there. Yeah. When you think about it, it's not even like you're asking too much. Like it's, it, it feels like effort to start to do these things, but five minutes to sit with yourself, it just because it's foreign doesn't mean it's hard. You know, it's, oh, it's so weird though. Right. Yeah. Well, Changing habits, changing our reactivity, I think is hard for people. And, but that's not reason why you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful things that come from change. Absolutely loved speaking to you. So thank you so, so much for joining me. 
Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a really fun conversation. Thank you. I'm glad. Um, is there anything you want to add or make sure that I add at the end of the um, episode? I would do like a wrap up with your, um, you know, social media and things like that. Well, I would just offer that if people are interested in the kinds of things I talk about, you know, I have books and products and, and services and that kind of thing. And that's all on my website, which is rachelalexandria.com. Perfect. I will. Um, yeah, we will make sure that people find you because I think that you have so much to offer. And I'm, I'm really excited to continue to follow you and see what more I can learn from you. So thank you so much for today. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for being brave and asking. And there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, I know, like I said, I, I already knew my Enneagram type going in, and I just think it was really cool to to learn about, you know, some of these tests and things that you can do just to just for fun, if anything, but also just to see whether or not they resonate with you. And maybe you can learn to understand some of the traits that you do love or don't love about yourself so much. And also, if you want to learn more about tapping, I highly recommend it. Since having a chat with Rachel, I have done a little bit more research about it. And um, you can use it on so many incredible parts of your life. And it just is just like a calming tool to to bring you down when you're feeling anxious or angry or whatever it might be. Um, and I think that that's, it's just a really powerful tool to kind of have in your arsenal and, and see what you can do with it. So um, maybe that resonates with you and you do a little bit more research. Um, and I would obviously love to hear from anybody if they had any positive thoughts about that. And before I end the episode, I want to loop back to one thing that Rachel and I did say closer to the end. Um, and she mentioned it so casually as she was so calm and peaceful, this basically this whole conversation that I didn't expect it to have such an impact on me. But the way that she um, reminded me, let's say, about how happiness is so based on material or external sources um, that we should instead be putting our importance on finding peace or acknowledging how far we've come or where we're at in our lives overall has been so, it's just, it's left a huge impression on me. And um, I am really excited about that mindset, to be honest, because like I mentioned in the conversation, uh, having, you know, gone through depression and now being on the other side of it, I am no question the happiest I've ever been. But I also find that I have moments where I'm mad at myself because I don't feel happy enough. You know, I'm like, well, you have all these things happening for you. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you happy now? Or you were happy yesterday. Why aren't you happy today? What's wrong with you? But it's true. Like, it's always going to be, you know, a fluctuation of things. And um, I just think that if we were to start focusing on whether or not we're peaceful, I, I just believe that that's just a really beautiful way to live. And I also think that we'd probably end up seeing more happiness overall anyway. Um, so I'm going to end you here with a quote from Abraham Hicks that I just think is really relevant. A happy life is just a string of happy moments, but most people don't allow the happy moment because they are so busy trying to get a happy life. To be honest, that's certainly what I'm taking away the most. Just remember that happiness is a string of little moments and don't let one slip you by because you're 
you're expecting more or because you're looking for it more consistently. Appreciate every moment that brings you happiness and bring as much peace into your life that you can. Sending love to all of you and health and happiness your way. And I will see you soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more or to reach out, you can find us on Instagram at lovemepodcast or visit our website, lovemepodcast.com. If you like what you heard in today's episode, please take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcast, or you can subscribe from whichever streaming service you're listening from. New episodes are available every other Monday. Until then, I'll leave you with the wise words from the mother of all badasses, Jen Sincero. Love yourself while you've still got the chance.